Oh, they can always do more. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy S. Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work, of course, is uh, not just daily in the Houston Chronicle at houstonchronicle.com. It's pretty much every uh, day part that I see a story from you, Jeremy. It's in the morning. It's in the midday. I could, uh, you, you put out a breakfast story. You put out a lunch story. You put out a dinner story, and sometimes snacks in between. Yeah, just imagine what the workload will look like as we get closer to the November elections. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you were uh, you had a reminder up on social media uh, just a little while ago. How, how far out are we now uh, for people who need to figure out you know whether they are registered or not? People should probably check that. You only have so long if you want to participate in the election to do the things you need to do. Yeah, exactly. We're uh, as of Sunday, we will be 100 days away from registering to vote deadlines uh, for the governor's race. So if you haven't joined the 17.3 million of us who are already registered. This is your chance, you know, it's like, and yes. also always a good time to check to make sure your registration is correct. So mm-hmm. if you check out my Twitter feed, you'll see a, a link to, for people to check if their registration is up to date and accurate uh, so they can fix it before they get into November because you don't want to fix yeah. it in November. <laughs> correct. And uh, that part of voting in Texas, at least that that little piece of it. Is fairly easy, but you have uh, some thoughts and some reporting coming out uh, on a few things that may be changing with that, and we'll get to it. But let's start with just the outrage all across Texas and America after the overturning of the Roe versus Wade decision affecting abortion rights in at least half of the states right now. So you saw these protests everywhere, Jeremy, and people are really amped up, really angry, uh, what some activists call emergency demonstrations, emergency protests. Um, color me skeptical. This is always, you know, I'm always raining on everybody's parade when they're in the midst of their activism. But it's it's so rare that emergency protests translate into emergency voting. I mean, to the point you were just making, there's certain things you got to do uh, if you actually want things to be any different. So what will be done about it? Well, on the uh, pro-choice side, um, there are all these protests. There are people who are organizing ahead of the election, right? Uh, Diana limon is the executive director at Planned Parenthood Texas Votes, and she was talking at one of these rallies, and I saw where the Republican National Committee was giving her uh, some grief over something that she had said. By the way, she's also uh, the Democratic nominee for county clerk in Travis County, which th- I think makes her the county clerk in, in, in Austin. Right? She's going to win that, right? <laughs> Republicans can't win a countywide race in Travis. Catch up. Pay attention, everybody. So she's speaking at one of these rallies. And here's her version. Here's her answer for what people need to be doing right now. Some people are like, we're going to do this. No, we need to do that. No, we need to do this. Let's call it this. Let's call it that. What color are you wearing? I don't give a shit about any of those things, y'all. Do everything. Whatever you want to do, whatever is calling to you in this moment, however this might speak to you, do that. If you want to take to the streets and shut down business as usual, do that. I saw some Republicans taking her out of context and saying that what she meant is that um, she wants people to shut down businesses. That's not what she said. She said she wanted people to kind of just, uh, you know, upset the apple cart for people. Protesting uh, is, you know, a great tradition 
in the United States. If you only demonstrated, Jeremy, and protested in places that were convenient for everybody else, no one would notice it, right? If you're in the streets and you're causing problems, uh, then folks might say, well, hey, what is going on here that they're so upset about? Yeah, and the phrase shut down business as usual, it doesn't mean you're trying to shut down businesses. Come on, everybody's used, you know, like business as usual. We're not talking about IBM and Microsoft. We're right. talking about... Well, maybe maybe it was uh, inartful phrasing on her part, but yeah. you do see Republicans deliberately saying that they want to punish businesses that do anything to help a woman get an abortion uh, in Texas. And you now have legislators saying that not only do they want to somehow punish those businesses, but also make it illegal for a woman to travel outside of Texas to be able to get an abortion somewhere else. Uh, I don't know exactly how they would do that. And I will tell you, Jeremy, this is interesting. Um, the, and I'm just trying to think it through. Like, let's say you wanted to do that. that. That was your goal. I don't know how from a policy perspective you would be able to figure it out. But I do remember uh, back in 2013, when then Senator Wendy Davis was filibustering at what at that time was the big anti-abortion bill, sweeping regulations. Uh, and, you know, just for perspective at that time, it seemed like the biggest deal ever. It was huge. I had never seen a demonstration like that uh, at the Texas Capitol or just about anywhere else. Uh, but that bill, compared to what's happening now, was really just marginal and, you know, sort of nibbling around the edges. I mean, that thing did things like uh, regulate the width of hallways at abortion clinics, right? Now we're talking about the complete inability of somebody to get uh, an abortion. And as we were taping the show last Friday, uh, there were already women who were in abortion clinics who were told, put your clothes back on, go back to the lobby. We can't help you, right? This is a completely different world uh, when it comes to all of this. And I saw the Washington Post report uh, where Dr. Tom Oliverson, who's a Houston area state representative, is part of this group. The It's the National uh, Association of Christian Legislators, and they want to figure out how to keep women from going to other states to get an abortion. Again, I don't know how they would do that, but as somebody told me back in 2013 when that abortion bill was being debated, Jeremy, there's always something else coming. There, there's always more that policymakers are going to try to do on this issue. And you saw it at the Republican convention as well, where those activists, that they wouldn't think that, that this is even good enough, that Roe versus Wade has now been overturned and that states can now make the decisions about it, which I think undermines one of the arguments you've always heard from Republicans, which is that this should just be left up to the states. Well, if it should just be left up to the states, I, could, I guess I could ask this question. If I want to go to Nevada, or Louisiana to gamble, but it's illegal in Texas. Can they keep me? You know, keep me from doing that. Yeah, that seems insane. You know, it's like the the prospect of this kind of speaks to the issue of uh, this being a privacy issue uh, for women, right? You know, it's like it's that concern that they've had. You know, that a lot of women have expressed. Like this isn't you know uh, just about abortion rights. This is about a woman's privacy for her medical treatments. So if somehow you have to prove whatever your medical condition is before you hop on a plane to New York, uh, where does that end? Where is that line? It's like, you know, where again, just trying to imagine how you would stop, you know, women from traveling seems like we've just crossed over into something that is beyond politics at that point. And it's something entirely different. And it's, you know, and I think it probably fires up, you know, a lot of people on the left, you know, about this issue. You know, it's like, it's just, you know, it's, it's taking it to extremes and like all these, like, oh, this, is where, this is where it could lead. Now mm -hmm. you're starting to hear people like really express it on the Republican side, on the pro-life side, where it does sound scarier and, plausible now it's not just 
in things in people's heads now. It's real. This is legitimately like a fight now that if if the pro-choice crowd was slow to vote before to change some of these laws and the way these judges are appointed, you know, this is it. You know, this is where they're like now having to like, I think the light bulb's coming on going, you have to care as much about the courts as the pro-life and the Republican side, you know, and that hasn't been the case in a lot of Democratic, you know, not at all corners. Right. Republicans. And, you know, you reported on this uh, previously that Republicans, how many of them in Texas would tell you they were holding their nose and voting for Trump because of the Supreme Court issue, right? The who is going to get to pick the next Supreme Court justices? They certainly didn't. They did not want it to be uh, Hillary Clinton as a Democrat, uh, you know, uh, supporting and appointing uh, liberal justices. But something you said there, I think, is interesting. It may fire up people on the left. Uh, our publisher at QuorumReport.com, Harvey Kronberg, had a column up yesterday where he said it may be moving. Republican women, some people who are a little more on the right in, on most issues, people who are pretty conservative. But uh, he wrote in his column uh, that anecdotally he had a series of interviews uh, with reliably Republican voting professional women over the last few days, and it revealed a disgust with what they called uh, being relegated to second-class citizenship status. Uh, by the Texas legislature, because you start to look at uh, the kinds of things that have passed here in Texas. It is all, and I know I'm the I'm the biggest broken record, and I'll say it on this show every day, every week, <laughs> until uh, the election, is that guess what? The November election doesn't even matter in this state, and hasn't for years. The only election of consequence is the Republican primary, and that's why we have the policy prescriptions that we have. If you look at the general election polling on abortion restrictions that have no exceptions for rape and incest. No, almost no one supports that. Yeah. It's, I mean, that the opposition to that is almost 80%, but that's the law in Texas right now as, as the trigger law goes into effect. And the, uh, you know, the attorney general's office is arguing that the pre row statutes that were in place 50 years ago before they were, you know, sort of canceled, uh, canceled out by that decision that he, that the attorney general, Ken Paxton can go ahead and, uh, and enforce those today, Jeremy. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, yeah, th th this is like, you know, kind of a, a, a big moment for, you know, a lot of Republican women, too, and Republicans in general. There's a lot of moderates who, you know, aren't this far to the right on the abortion issue now who are having now a deal with this within their own party. You've seen people trying to say, OK, like this isn't really banning abortions everywhere. But the reality in Texas is that, yes, you know, abortions will be banned for everybody, including those, you know, who are, are uh, victims of rape and incest, mm -hmm. uh, even if like there, uh, there are problems with, you know, the fetus that, you know, there's some huge abnormality, you're not going to be able to do anything. Uh, you can't even get in in that case. So I think that's going to put, that's where it goes to a lot of those suburban, you know, areas and like the, the conversation is a little bit more different for independents and Republicans. That's where the Republicans are really now dealing with a little fire right now that could really consume them yeah. real quick. If they if they're really going to get into discussions about stopping women from traveling, stopping, mm -hmm. you know, women from, you know, being able to abort a rapist baby. You know, it's like these are conversations that sound like don't vote for me. <laughs> mm hmm. Well, yeah, and you know something you mentioned in there uh, about fetal abnormalities. There are some who misrepresent that uh, completely. That that does not mean a child with Down syndrome, for example, a fetal abnormality 
is, for example, when the fetus is developing with no lungs. Yeah. Or it doesn't have a spinal column, right? Or, or a central nervous system. Or um, its heart is in its leg. Things yep. like that, 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 that it's going to be stillborn in all likelihood. Uh, and, and, you know, the thing about fetal abnormality that's extra heartbreaking, and so many of the stories around abortion is so heartbreaking, and that's why it's so gross to so many people that the government gets involved with it at all, uh, is that usually when a fetal abnormality is found, it's late in the pregnancy, and it's a woman who wants the baby almost, yep. almost always. Um, and so then... To have the government step in and say, you can't do what the doctor's telling you you need to do now uh, is just too much for a lot of families. Now, there has been some reporting on what they call alternatives to abortion, um, and the state of Texas spends a lot on that. State Representative Donna Howard, who is a Democrat from Austin, longtime member of the Appropriations Committee, and someone who is respected by Republicans and Democrats alike for her knowledge about the Texas budget, she and former state representative Sarah Davis – who is a Republican from Houston, they were interviewed on NBC Nightly News about the proposals to create these, quote, alternatives to abortion. When I say alternatives to abortion, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, waste of money, waste of taxpayer dollars, lack of accountability, and actually no metrics that indicate that it has anything to do with averting abortions. This is one of the programs in the budget that there's just so little accountability. There's no real metrics. Like, how do we know this money averts abortions? How many abortions have been averted? We don't have that data. And because there's no way to know that, it sounds a lot like the data we get about border security. Jeremy, we see the head of DPS, and we'll talk about the border in a bit, but you'll see the head of the DPS talking about all these interdictions. They, you know, seized some drugs and, you know, they had some uh, migrants who were locked up or whatever. But you, there's no way to know what you didn't get or what would have happened if you hadn't done this or that. It's a lot of speculation. Uh, and with a lot of these things where millions and millions of dollars are being spent in, in across some of these various programs, there's so little accountability and nobody uh, shedding light on any any of the stuff, and it seems like I mean, if this sounds if this sounds a little morose, there's a reason. It seems like not a lot of people care. Yeah, it's interesting because that alternative to abortion you know, line item in the Texas budget has been steadily on the increase over the last six you know uh, legislative cycles, uh, and so they, they've been adding more and more money to that. And so, like I, I talked to State Senator Brian Hughes earlier this week about that that those programs. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. since there is going to be no access to abortion, you know, there is it, it, like, do we still need to be funding that? You know, it's like those mm -hmm. were kind of created to, you know, direct people away from abortion, but now that's not even an option. And so uh, my, my thought initially was, so we're going to need those programs less. Right. And he said, no, we need them more. We're going to need mm -hmm. to put more funding into those alternative abortion programs. And you know, that's a direct page out of the Texas Right to Life, too, which has already been putting out you know, material to their supporters is like, oh, this isn't over. Yeah, we won the road case. But what we're doing now is we're going to push to put more money into the alternatives to abortion program mm -hmm. that we think they're needed even more so. And so this is not going to go the way that, you know, it seems like logically you would think on alternatives to abortion if there is no chance to get an abortion. Well, yeah, I mean, look, it's a, it's a chance for all the folks who call themselves pro-life and mostly Republicans. It's a chance for them to prove that they're right about what they've always said, which is that they would support mothers if they have to have 
the baby, right? So I would think that rather than, quote, alternative to abortion programs, what they might do instead is put a whole lot more money into the program that collects child support at the attorney general's office. You know, we have one of the, uh, I think, in the entire United States, and if you throw in D.C., we might be 51st, per capita collections for child support. We are almost dead last in that, even though it's something that has been uh, an ongoing problem at the AG's office. It's not like they have not had time to try to fix that, Jeremy. Well, and also it speaks to the question of like, okay, so there's a lot of, you know, women who are going to have these, you know, have children. Are we going to make sure that they have health care, you know, not just through the delivery, but also in that postpartum period where there's Mm -hmm. obviously all kinds of issues that happen in that postpartum stretch. So, would the would the Texas Republican Party be willing to expand Medicaid, you know, to those, you know, women to make sure they're covered, you know, you know, for more than just the, the you know, you deliver the baby. Now we're done right. with you. It's like, mm-hmm. now what do you do if they were uninsured beforehand? Do you just say, OK, we keep that coverage going until like further into their lives or do we just cut them off cold? Uh, so, yeah, there's really good questions about where you go, even from the healthcare perspective. And mm-hmm. will the pro-life movement, you know, really kind of push to do more on health care for, you know, all women in Texas? All women, especially new mothers. Um, and uh, here's one thing that uh, you should not let them get away with. Uh, you know, people I know every journalist in Austin listens to this show. So here's a question that you can follow up with. You can ask these folks, are you going to spend any of the huge surplus that Texas is expected to have next year, something like $25 billion extra. Are you going to spend any of that to try to back up and support these new mothers that are now you know, going to be forced, forced to give birth? You know, you hate to say it that way, but it's true. For some of them, you're forcing them to have a baby. And I can tell you already, Jeremy, there's chatter around the Capitol that, uh, you know, on the Senate Finance Committee, for example, they, you know, write the budget of Texas, that they're already telling certain folks that, hey, we don't have money for this, or we don't have money for that. They're already saying that. So that has me um, in speculation mode, thinking that there's going to be another gimmick from Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and Senator Paul Betancourt, who also listens to the show. Um, Something about maybe giving everybody $100 back on their property taxes, something like that, that they would spend billions and billions and billions of dollars on. Um, And why would I think that? Because that's the way they've approached that issue time and time again. Now, you saw Briscoe Cain was one of the first ones out of the gate on all this. Love me some Briscoe Cain. Republican of Deer Park in Harris County, state representative from uh, from there, and probably, I think it's fair to say, one of the most conservative members of the Texas House. I, I think that's fair. I'm not going off of anybody's scorecard. I'm just saying. He's pretty damn conservative. Uh, he sent a letter to uh, Lyft and to some other companies where he said, look, we're going to punish you if you try to pay for a woman uh, and her travel, if you have an employee who needs to travel out of Texas and he, by the way, he said this before the Roe versus Wade uh, decision was overturned. He was telling them that he'd find ways to punish them. And he did. And I'm not even sure he knows how he would do it, but he's serious about it. And you got to watch these things closely because you'll say, oh, it's only one legislator. Well, that's how this stuff starts. Um, he says legislators will have to push back on the liberal big city district attorneys who don't want to prosecute these abortion cases. 
I, I expect our uh, the urban county DAs to to resist it, and that's why we need to come up with alternative remedies. But like, that is one of the main reasons that we have civil enforcement under the Texas heartbeat bill. We knew that uh, the major urban DAs weren't going to want to enforce these things, so we allowed for civil remedies. And I believe that's a, another thing we'll look at going forward in the legislature is more civil remedies, not just for after the detection of a heartbeat, for, but period, whether or not it occurred. Because if it is illegal, the DAs aren't prosecuting it, then we need to empower others uh, to enforce the law. He was on WFAA television in Dallas-Fort Worth there. Uh, Kane is, you know, I mean, he's right about one thing, which is that they have thought of all of this previously, right? I mean, the the tension that was growing between the, I I would say, just the Democratic district attorneys who are in places like Harris County, Dallas County, Bear County. We'll see what happens in Tarrant County. Uh, They probably will still have a Republican there, but we'll see. Um, Here in Travis County, for sure, um, out in El Paso, they're not going to prosecute women and doctors over this. Um, But not only is there the opportunity for people to file lawsuits, but you already have the attorney general talking about how he's going to go after uh, abortion clinics uh, on the civil side to the tune of $100,000, I guess, per incident. Right, Jeremy? So there are all there is a reason that even though the trigger law, quote unquote, the trigger law doesn't take effect for 30 days after the ruling, uh, there's a reason that those clinics were shutting down on the same day that the ruling came down. They were they said, look, we've got to look at our legal options here if we even have any. Yeah. If there's one thing we've learned about Texas politics over the last, say, four years or so, is that even things that sound outlandish are very much possible. It's like you couldn't have convinced me that we would get to the point where the Texas, you know, our governor would say, yes, everybody can carry a gun uh, without a license to carry, uh, even though. You know, you know, not to steal a line from you know some of the opponents of that, but you know, they were we literally had thirty thousand people who were denied ability to carry a weapon. You know, and those people can now all go get one. <laughs> As right. like, which well, scares the, the day. I never would have expected that would have happened. You know. In, in Texas, I thought it was just a, a, a corner group of Republicans who like to vent about it. But here it is. It's real. So everything we're hearing right now, I'm taking a lot more seriously than I would have mm-hmm. like 10 years ago. Well, you know, and it's interesting. Uh, I think about the progression of all this over the over the last 15 to 20 years, um, going back to some of the uh, Republican Party of Texas conventions I would have uh, attended at that time uh, or just listening to the kind of campaign promises that folks like Governor Perry were making when, when Rick Perry was in office. And there was – I don't it, – it's not a disconnect. That's not it. It's, it's that there was, a, there was a difference between the way people would campaign and the way they would govern. Right. They would say the things they needed to say to get into office. Um, and then once they got there, they would follow up on some of that. Right. But there would be room to maneuver. Now, the campaign never ends. The campaign goes on during the legislative session. Right. And so there, there is no difference between what they're saying now and what they will do later. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 become like um, I'm trying to think of like how exactly you know because you're hearing it where uh, the 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 small party base is even more influential as you said time and time again because of the primary system. It's like these guys are no longer just you know saying the right words to get through the convention and through the primary mm-hmm. and then go represent everybody else. Now that's like no no no. 
no, we're going to stick with this because we're afraid of these guys 24 seven. Now it's like, we're not going like, if they want us to say the 2020 we'll election was stolen, right. we will say it. We will put it in our time. The, the, at the Republican convention, they literally passed a resolution that said they consider Joe Biden to be the acting president <sighs> yeah. of the United States. It, like he's literally considered the acting president by the Texas Republican party. Uh, and, Again, it's it's unbelievable that would never have flown. You know, think about the, uh, the era of you know George W. Bush, uh, or even in the early years of the Rick Perry. Could you imagine them, you know, declaring you know <laughs> the president acting president based off of absolutely no solid something evidence, that has been but just litigated over and over again. Uh, the the people who were making that claim in court were poured out by judges all over America, I think 60 times or something. Um, it, really unbelievable. Um, and we'll get to uh, a, a bigger discussion on uh, what's in that platform in just a bit. But, you know, I looked at uh, the TV earlier this week, Jeremy, and I saw this just heartbreaking news out of San Antonio. And here's how it was covered. Uh, as breaking news on KSAT television there in Bear County. We're not supposed to open up a truck and see stacks of bodies in there. Um, none of us come to work imagining that. Trapped in a semi-trailer in the searing South Texas heat, a deadly discovery made on San Antonio's southwest side. Dozens of dead bodies found in the back of an 18-wheeler. Several others rushed to hospitals in San Antonio. In Houston, at KHOU Television, they covered it this way. They got the two-way radio traffic from the first responders and what people were first hearing about as they got onto the scene, Jeremy. It was all just horrific. The first to arrive quickly relayed the grim discovery. We've got an 18-wheeler. Looks to be about 60 people that are inside. That they were working one of the worst human smuggling cases ever. Looks like... uh, Quite a few of them are already deceased. Jeremy Rogowski there for KHOU. And this deal is heartbreaking. It's terrible. Um, but certainly not the first time it has happened in Texas, Jeremy. Um, in Washington, they are not really debating this, but they're talking about it. If reporters ask them about it, they'll talk about it. Senator John Cornyn told KTVT in Dallas-Fort Worth that the Democrats are to blame for the fact that there's been no comprehensive immigration reform, which, look, advocates would say is what you actually need to do if you don't want to see this kind of tragedy play out. Well, we've tried before and and I'm going to keep trying. But unfortunately, the Biden administration seems to be completely paralyzed uh, by its base, which doesn't believe in any kind of border controls. And that's been the problem. Uh, Maybe this will shock the conscience to the point it will actually prompt some action. Now, you will be shocked to hear that while he blames Democrats, a Democratic congressman, Mark Vesey, blames the Republicans. If the Republicans and Mitch McConnell will cooperate with the majority leader, then I guarantee you that we can get something to Biden's desk. And I guarantee you that the American people will like that system a lot better than the human smuggling system. It seems like everybody's singing from the same hymnal here. Uh, in Eagle Pass, Governor Abbott was making an appearance on the border, and he was quick to blame the deaths on President Joe Biden's immigration policies. I urge the president, stop the loss of lives. You have the ability to stop people from losing their lives if you make it clear that no one can come across illegally. There's a perfectly legal way that people can immigrate to the United States of America. Is that legal pathway, Mr. President, 
that you must insist upon, and if you do that, you will have a role in reducing the loss of life. He is mistaken. For the people who are in the back of that truck, there is no legal path for people to come into the United States. Now, uh, just in the last 24 hours, we've seen uh, from the Supreme Court a ruling on this uh, remain in Mexico policy has to do with those who are seeking asylum, Jeremy. And of course, that's a huge deal. I mean, you had uh, President Trump ha- had this policy that said, if you're seeking asylum, you got to stay in Mexico. That's why they call it that. And very clever name, stay in Mexico if you're going to seek asylum. Seeking asylum is a legal way to come into the United States, right? And the way it had worked previously is you would come in and you would immediately surrender to whatever authorities and say you're seeking asylum because where you were coming from is either a war-torn nation or you you know you live in such desperate poverty that you need to be in the United States, whatever it is. There are uh, various claims for, for asylum. Now, we had seen uh, previously months ago uh, those folks from Haiti were put right on airplanes right back to Haiti. Right. They said they didn't have a good claim and they needed to go back. Um, So many developments on this. So you think about what happened with the people on that truck. And it was on my dash in my truck. It was 100 degrees just about every day. This past week, got a little bit of a break when I was in Houston. It was 74 as I was driving into Harris County the other day because it had rained and then went right back up to 100 uh, immediately. Inside the back of that truck, Jeremy, it's like an oven. It's 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 so hot in there uh, that it's really unbelievable. I mean, you're probably talking about closer to 160, 180, something like that inside that trailer. Um, they had steak seasoning on the people uh, to, I guess, mitigate the smell of people who are in the back of this truck. Um, it looked like uh, they may have been loaded. And here's here's an interesting point. They may have been loaded into that truck after the truck had come across the border, or it may have been that they came across the border, then got loaded into the truck, which had never crossed the border. So now we're talking about what? Truck inspections again. How did that go? See, you had Abbott at that same speech in Eagle Pass. He said, oh, but maybe he didn't say maybe he said he's ordering a new round of truck inspections at the border. And of course that worked so well months ago, Robert Sherman at News Nation at that time was talking with truckers on the border who are just trying to do their jobs while all this finger pointing is happening between Republicans and Democrats. Well, I think that whenever we talk about a lot of these political rifts, you know, it's easy to fall into the Texas governor versus Washington argument, the two sides bickering back and forth. What oftentimes gets lost in that whole conversation is the everyday people. And the people who are bearing the brunt of this back and forth are the truckers, are the everyday citizens. So the truckers that we've been speaking with say, we didn't realize this, when those trucks are stopped here and they're not moving, they're not getting paid until they're going off onto their destination. The one trucker who we were speaking with says that he was waiting for his trailer to come through that port of entry that's behind us and over here into the United States. He's still waiting. We saw him over there the whole day. That's an American citizen who is not getting paid, is not able to go home and see his family, just caught in limbo here. And Jeremy, that's a point you had made previously about some of these folks who may live in places like Houston or Dallas-Fort Worth, and they, they go down to the border to get the load that they're going to take you know, up into a different part of Texas or uh, to other places around the country. Some of, some of those long-haul truckers who are really some of the hardest workers that we have. And when these things happen, um, they're the ones who end up getting punished. And we're going to have to keep a close eye on this now, I guess, to see if the same kind of problem crops up. I would think 
that the governor might have learned his lesson and maybe this might be a little more of a window dressing type version of these inspections, but we'll see. Yeah, this is definitely going to be different from what we saw before, at least, you know, from what I heard from the DPS officials on this. So what what these inspections are going to be, these are going to be further away from the ports of entry. So the, the last time in April when we had that all that backup, that was Abbott doing a mechanical inspection on every truck that was coming through the port of entry. That's not what's going to happen this time. This time, DPS is going to have uh, uh, units that are set up to try to identify trucks that look suspicious and that might be quote clone trucks these are trucks that have all the markings on the side of it that make it look like with a company uh but are not really and so they they even have like dot numbers on the side and you know that Mm -hmm. that make it look like a legitimate company but are not and so these units are supposed to be traveling you know further away from the ports of entry to try to identify the trucks that aren't real and and you bring up a really important point and it's like we should probably say this every single time but like the way trucking works in you know, along the border is that there are short haulers who come across the border, drop their load off, and most of the time go back over for more loads. They just come back and mm-hmm. forth across the border four or five times a day, you know, versus then, you know, on the U.S. side, in places like Laredo, if you're ever up, coming up I-35 from Laredo, you'll see all those truck way stations with all these truckers waiting for the loads so they can take it to the rest of the country. And so that's what's going to be interesting about unraveling this. It's like, yeah, there's a chance that, like, this truck went through, mm-hmm. you know, the port of entry fine. You know, it's like if, you know, it probably didn't have any people in it. It's like they probably picked up the people, you know, further inland. And then, you know, yeah. we're trying to take them somewhere else. That's why there are all those safe houses along the border where people come to those safe houses and then get picked up and are being taken somewhere else. So just a basic understanding of kind of what we're seeing at the border is really hard for a lot of people to understand if you're just watching sound bites on Fox News all day. Yeah, right. And that's what a lot of people are doing. And I believe that they're uh, approaching this differently in the way that you describe it as far as the truck inspections, because at the time of the last border blockade by Abbott, and I saw where uh, on that News Nation report, they had referred to him as the he was he was a self-appointed border czar. That Abbott's doing all this stuff. You know, he's he's uh, shipping uh, migrants to D.C., which is just completely a stunt, putting them on those buses and but the stunt continues, right? They're still doing it. Uh, at that time, when that was going on, when, when the border was essentially shut down, Jen Psaki, who is now the former White House press secretary, uh, she was asked if Biden blames Abbott for the rising cost of just about everything in the United States. Well, I think we're trying to state the facts of what his another political stunt that we're seeing happen and the impact of it. Um, and what we're seeing is right now, factually, there's over one million dollars in trade crossing over the U.S.-Mexico border every minute. These actions are impacting people's jobs and the livelihoods of hardworking families in Texas and across the country. That's not a political statement. That's a statement of fact. Now, lest anybody think that I was glossing over the death of these immigrants, let me slow down and talk about this for a second. Jeremy, I covered years ago in Victoria, Texas, the what at that time was the deadliest human smuggling tragedy in the United States. It was 18 people in the back of an 18-wheeler there. And what had happened was the driver at a rest stop abandoned them there. And I later covered the trial in Houston. It was a federal trial. Uh, the driver was represented by a former congressman. His lawyer was... Uh, uh, Craig Washington. 
um, who was, was a very interesting character. He, uh, he succeeded Mickey Leland in Congress uh, from Houston. Um, the sheriff in Victoria County, I think for, for a red, and I'm from that part of the state. I'm from Wharton County. Um, for, I think for a redneck sheriff, which he would probably be okay with me describing him that way. I thought he was pretty, pretty eloquent about describing why the people were in that trailer, why they were making this awful trip. Um, here's what he said uh, later. He said this in, I believe, in uh, 2017 when there was another similar tragedy in San Antonio. You may remember that. There were 10 people who got killed that time. Okay. Here's what the Victoria County Sheriff said about why these people put themselves and their children through this. It's a plight to which they leave an environment that uh, is dangerous at best, economics, uh, and they just know that coming to the U.S. is going to be a better land of the promised land. Why does anybody move from one place to another? Why does somebody move from California to Texas? Not because of politics, probably because they got a job offer where they're going to make more money, right? People move from one place to another, and I've said this before, I'll do it again. People migrate whether legally or illegally, or uh, from one country to another, could be from one state to another, maybe just one city to another. People move because, primarily because, and I should say people move voluntarily because they think that the place they're going will be better than where they are, right? Life will be better in America than it is in the Northern Triangle countries, obviously. Um, and there are fixes for this. We have done this before. We are capable when we roll up our sleeves and do the work. You do know that by the numbers, illegal immigration from Mexico is way, I mean, compared to decades past, way down, right? Most of what we see coming out of, uh, coming across the border now is people from other places, including primarily those Northern Triangle countries. Why did it slow down so much from Mexico? This is not that hard to figure out. It's because of the reason the trucks are moving across the border. It's because of the North American Free Trade Agreement. It's driven by business interests from Texas, right? Uh, people at the Greater Houston Partnership back in the day in Houston, working in their boardrooms to write NAFTA and then go to D.C. and get them to pass it. And even when Trump came in, remember, he was bad-mouthing NAFTA every day of the week because he was making an economic appeal to people in the Rust Belt. It was essentially he was trading votes in the Sun Belt where we are for votes in the Rust Belt, right? So you saw Trump perform worse in Texas than any Republican nominee for president in a generation. Um, at the same time, he was flipping states where Democrats had been solid, rock solid in presidential races previously, right? In Michigan, in Pennsylvania. And it was largely driven by this economic message that worked. And But even he came in and realized you can't just get rid of NAFTA because of the, because of the business. He's a business guy. Um, but also something Rick Perry said about all this back in the day was like, you can stop this migration by making life better for people where they are. And you do that by doing business with them. You do that by having trade with them, by sharing an economy and a culture with them. And for the North American continent, we have done that. And for some of these other places, we have not. Well, it's a good point. It, it reminds me of a Willie Nelson song. Of course, there's always got to be a Willie Nelson song when you're talking. Of course. Paul. I knew it was going to be a Willie Nelson thing with you. Yeah. Well, well, he has that one song across the borderline that just seems to perfectly mm -hmm. kind of fit into this. This is like, you know, it's, it's about, you know, people who are trying to get to the promised land and the promised land is actually hardly that, you know, and you think of these people plowing themselves into the back of a truck, trying to find a life where they could be like, 
you know, just work busboy jobs or work in hotels or that's all they're looking for. And they kind of give up all their lives for this stuff. So it just, it just rips your heart out to think that these are just people who are just trying to make their lives and their right. families better. And the price they had to pay for this is literally their lives. Yep. And it just, it kills you every time. It does. Um, you know, when I covered that trial for the truck driver in Houston, uh, the one who had abandoned those folks in Victoria, I remember listening to some of the testimony about uh, what it was like inside the trailer as people were dying. And there was testimony to the effect that uh, a parent of a young child was holding them in the, holding them close in the trailer. It was blistering heat. It was over 100, however many degrees in there. They were cooking in there. And the parent was telling the child, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. And they died. And no one cares. Right? These guys are going to point fingers at each other. Democrats or Republicans are the, to blame. And the opposite side says, no, the other guys are to blame. And in the meantime, nothing changes. Nothing happens. Um, so if anybody tells me that this is any different, I'll believe it when I see it. You, Jeremy, uh, have a story out uh, at HoustonChronicle.com about, I think it's sort of the, the outlines of what may be coming when it comes to voting in Texas. Of course, there was this huge debate last year, eight months worth of debating the election laws of this state, uh, as if that wasn't enough. And all of the things that ended up in the sweeping election bill passed by the legislature. Um, for the folks at the Republican convention in Houston a couple weeks ago, it's not enough, is it? No, no. It's like they, their number one legislative priority is more election reform. And to what their idea of election reform is, is to cut down on early voting. You know, so it won't be, you know, they want to get down to a week potentially of early voting versus the two weeks we have now. And they also want to end the practice of people 65 and older being able to do mail voting. So just absolutely eliminating that opportunity for everybody 65 and older. Now, what makes this, you know, normally, you know, we would just kind of laugh off some of the nutty stuff that happens at a Republican convention. Oh, I have done but that. This is different. Yeah. This is very different this time around because they have now, you know, ended up you know, putting new teeth into their ability to censure legislators. And if they don't follow their legislative priorities, they can now just not only censure them, but now spend money against them in primaries mm -hmm. to put even more pressure on them to do these things. And so we're going to have a legislative session coming up where, you know, these two issues, you know, are going to be part of the debate. It's like, I'm not saying they're going to pass at this point, but this is clearly where the next front of this fight is going to be. And it all ties back to what we've heard President, you know, former President Trump talk about, right? Like that, you know, when he's talked about the election being stolen from him, he's been continually pointing at mail ballot right. as being the problem with that. And so, and now you see the Texas Republican Party completely diving headlong into that and now saying making it very public that they want to end early voting you know in mail voting for for more people they want mail balloting to be for only a handful of people mind you if this this stuff goes through this affects seven million people who voted 
in the last election, right. we ha- in the 2020 elections, you know, 6.5 million people voted, you know, in those early voting periods before that last week. Mm-hmm. So that's six and a half million people who would have to find right. some other time to vote. And then when you get to the absentee balloting, remember, one million people voted by mail in the 2020 presidential election, mm-hmm. you know, by you know mail ballot. I haven't quite been able to nail down how many of those are 65 and older. I'm kind of crunching those numbers now, but it's a big number. It's like those people are now going to have to find some other way to vote yep. if this really does snowball into the next fight on the election laws. Well, if they want everyone – what I'm hearing you say is that they want everyone in a state with 17 million some odd registered voters and, and will be more than that by this November. They want everyone to vote in person on election day. Is that correct? Yes, they think it's an election security problem. The, mm-hmm. You know, the more early voting and the more mail voting, the more they see a potential for fraud. Right. The- and so they're saying, okay, we're going to just limit it and get it shorter and shorter. And so the idea here is they want to be able to like for the week before election day, you can start voting and then you go straight until election day and then that's it. One solid election period and nothing will oh, so be one stolen. Week. Okay. What, right. What's so okay. amazing sure about right. what's so amazing about the- that, Texas is such a pioneer on these types of things on election. Elections. It's like since 1975, mm-hmm. we have allowed people 65 and older to vote with no excuse whatsoever. Right. We are way ahead of most states in the country for allowing that. Our early voting in person has also been pioneering stuff really compared to the rest of the nation. In the 1980s, we were allowing people to vote in person early, you know, before everybody else was doing it, essentially. And then we expanded in the early 90s to do even more places. That's why you can you can vote in HEB or at a grocery store or a shopping mall in Texas. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely against the law <laughs> in most of the United States of America. And it's like, but we, we, we did so many things to expand it to get more people to vote. And you see the results. Results, like where we're having record turnout mm-hmm. and all these things. But Republicans have seen that wait, that may not be good for them. It's like as the elections have been getting closer and closer and we're watching Republican you know, Republicans statewide barely survive in the 2018 cycle. Now they're in the position of like, well, well, maybe we need limited voting. Yes. You know, limited voting was better for us. And so now if you now try to shrink it, this is going to be a major problem. I think a major war going on in the next as if we didn't have enough election reform stress from the last legislative session. Here we go again. The bell is rung, and this is the new front. And if the Democrats aren't ready for this, you know, this is all going to come right down to them. And this stuff is going to get through. We saw what happened in the last election reform bill, where in the dead of night, things were being slipped in that nobody had ever seen. Mm-hmm. They go, wait, where'd this come from? Right. Well, this is your early warning system <laughs> sponsored by the Houston Chronicle to let you know that this is where the next what where the heck did that come from is going to come from it's like it's coming straight from the you know, republican platform and it's going to be tucked into some bill somewhere and you're going to be going wait a minute where did this come from where did that come from and as they were defending that bill last year jeremy as the new the sweeping election law in texas was being defended by people like little governor dan patrick and others how many times did they say that in texas we have so much early voting. Uh, Patrick w- went out of his way to say that pa- that Texas has more early voting opportunity than where the president is from, from Delaware, right? He said yep. that a bunch of times. You know, I mean, the, the fact that we do have all these accommodations for people is something that Republicans were bragging about. Now, it is a thing where I'll get frustrated with Democrats. There's always some excuse for why they can't win in Texas. Now, there's lots of good reasons and actual reasons they can't win in Texas. But the idea 
that people don't have the opportunity and the chance to go vote is not one of them. Um, there are other things they run into, right? I mean, two weeks of early voting. We have two weeks of early voting. Yeah. For some of these different groups, we have the voting by mail. But things were so confusing on voting by mail, and it was so confusing because of Trump. Trump voted by mail yeah. in Florida, and now he tried to say, well, he was absentee voting. I'm here to tell you, that's the same thing. It's just a different it's, it's a different word for the for for the same thing. I had I had smart people. I told you this before, Jeremy. I had smart people asking me, "Wait, what's the difference, Scott, between absentee voting and voting by mail?" And I would say it's the same thing. And then they would question that. They would say, "No, no, there's got to be some difference." He's saying there's a difference. I'm, no, no, there's no difference. It's the same thing. It was extra confusing because the group you're talking about, the Republican Party of Texas, sent mail pieces to people who were over 65. The mail piece had a picture of President Trump. He was in his dark suit with his red tie, looking sort of angry. And on the front of the mail piece, it read, President Trump needs you to fill out this form. And you opened it up and it was a ballot application for a mail ballot for older voters. At the same time, Trump is telling people they shouldn't vote by mail because that's where all the fraud happens. And you saw polling in Pennsylvania, which I'll remind the listeners is one of the reasons that he lost was Pennsylvania. And what happened there, you had polling where Republican voters in Pennsylvania were saying that they would rather not vote than vote by mail during the pandemic because President Trump was saying that that's where all the fraud happens. So if this was confusing at all, and if there were problems with mail ballots, we know who caused it. Yeah, well, and, and again, I, I, it's such a Texas thing to have expanded all these voting avenues. You know, it's like it's like these were Republicans and Democrats, you know, back in the 80s and the 90s who, you know, developed these, you know, proposals to expand this out. We were kind of way ahead of everybody. And it's, and it's interesting to see, you know, Texas, you know, Republicans now wanting to, you know, get away from that. You know, it seemingly served them well, you know, by, you know, by making it easier to vote. It's clearly helped Republicans. So like it helped them take, you know, the the, the governor's mansion in, mm -hmm. 19, in, in 1994. You know, it's like, you know, it, it helped them. They got more voters, you know, and mm -hmm. it's like and here we are. It's like now they're trying to put this back and it's like and i i think that what struck me is that it's like this is one again it's over seven million people who mm -hmm. would have to change how they vote if this is successful and that to me is a lot of human beings who are in the process now who have to find an alternative way that's where the line gets a lot longer in houston you know at the you know the west gray multicultural center where you have like the lines that won't end because that's yeah. where, like, that's where the pressure is going it, to be. Those are people are going to be in line at, you know, eight o'clock at night saying, wait, I need to vote still. You can't shut that door. <laughs> right. Well, maybe they'll change Texas law right now. It says that uh, if you're in line, you get to vote. Yep. Maybe they'll just change that too. All these people think it's so hard to change the law. It's not. They do it like that. They do it every two years. They just change the law. Now, if they want to do this and they go in this direction, Jeremy, then they have to seriously consider a friendly amendment from me. Which is this, and I floated this with conservative audiences many times because they're so they're, you know they're so concerned about election security and that everything is done correctly. We know that the whole idea 
of having instant results for elections. It's really a media creation. You know, you want to be able to watch it on CNN and MSNBC and Fox and watch John King or Steve Kornacki at the big uh, board. And they're showing you, you know, where the votes are changing and where the, you know, who's in the lead now and who's in the lead, uh, you know, an hour later and all of that stuff. But there's really no reason that you have to have, and certainly nothing in the Constitution says they have to tell you the election result that night. So why not that? Why not have an election day or an election period like you're talking about? And then once they're sure they've got it all correct, you have a results day. It might be a week later. It might be a month later. But nobody has to stay up all night. Look, if you listen to some of the uh, focus group uh, testing they've done on why Trump voters are so skeptical and, and part of why they think that there was some cheating going on in 2020, they'll say out loud that, well, I went to sleep and Trump was leading and then I woke up and then Biden was leading. What happened? As if they weren't still tabulating votes overnight. So, okay. So forget that. You go vote. Whenever you're done, go home, have some dinner, go to sleep, wake up the next day. Don't worry about it. Let it, let it cook in the oven. A month later, they'll just tell us, okay, here was the, here was the result. If that's what you want. Now, I think that that's silly, but if what you want is what they're talking about in that document you're talking about, Jeremy, then they should at least be open to that. I think, yeah. you know, it, it's it, it's called a little proposal, a little yeah. common sense. Let's do it. Well, and, and, and look, you know, when 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 Hayes beat Tilden, you know, back in the 1870s, they didn't know about the next morning. <laughs> they had to wait. Right. <laughs> so why, why, why shouldn't we wait? So it's like if it's good, there was good no, enough for Samuel Tilden, why isn't it good enough for us? <laughs> there was no CNN magic wall back then. They weren't showing them, you know, precinct by precinct how people were voting. And the other thing that really aggravates me about that, I'll get this off my chest, is after the polls have closed and on cable news, they will say so-and-so is leading now. And then they will come back 15 minutes later and say, oh, look, so-and-so has jumped into the lead now. And what they would have to do now to be able to win is to win this precinct and this precinct and this precinct, this part of Fulton County or whatever it is. And I'm thinking all they're doing is counting votes. The, the candidates are not doing anything right now. That's to, yeah. to act like there's something they could do now to make it different is silly. Some of the way that stuff gets covered just drives me nuts. All right. Um, I think that's enough show. I'm done. Are you done? Yeah, the tank is completely filled. Yep. Maya, are you done? She's done. She's, she, she's over it. <laughs> I see it on her face. Our producer, Maya Fawaz, she is, uh, she is fantastic. She's our new producer here. And uh, I was going to give her a couple of weeks on the job before I said that she's doing okay. With our last producer, Sarah, and Jeremy remembers this, anytime I would praise how good her work was, something would go wrong. <laughs> like like clockwork like clockwork if i said man you're doing such a great job she's amazing whatever you know there would be some technical difficulty so don't expect a lot of praise Maya. if you uh, enjoy the show and you know you do you should be a subscriber on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify however you listen to your favorite podcast give us the best rating that you can subscribe at quorumreport.com houstonchronicle.com as well and we will talk to you next time mm-hmm.